G'day and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio program dedicated to union news, workers' stories and discussion of social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. My name's Matt Kunkel. We've got a jam-packed show for you this week. We'll hear about the industrial campaign at Al Surat, an Islamic college in Melbourne's north. We'll also speak to the ETU about the dispute at multinational glass manufacturer OI. And our main feature is an interview with Mick Powell from the NUW about the report released last week, again showing wide-scale labour abuses in the farming industry. All that soon, but first, some union news. United Voice and the National Union of Workers have taken another step forward in their proposed merger. Members of both unions should now have received a ballot paper in the mail asking them whether they support the amalgamation. The ballot is being conducted by the Australian Electoral Commission and for the unions to merge, a majority of members within each of the unions must support the move. The two unions are seeking to join together to become the United Workers Union, which would be the fourth largest union in Australia, representing more than 150,000 workers. If you're a member of either of these unions, be sure to make your voice heard and vote. The ballot paper would have arrived in a plain white envelope with a see-through window. If you did not get your ballot paper, you can contact the union for a replacement. In a week where a report released by the Association of Superannuation Funds of Australia showed that half of Australians are retiring with insufficient superannuation for a comfortable life, the Federal Liberal Party has opened a new front on its war on workers. Now, new Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg has used his maiden speech in the Senate to call for an end to the compulsory superannuation system. Liberal MPs Tim Wilson and Jason Falinski have also called on the government to halt the planned increase to the superannuation guarantee, which is set to move from 9.5% to 10% in 2021. They're also calling on the government to cancel the planned increase to 12% in 2025. The government has sought to quieten its more outspoken backbenchers by launching a review which is likely to be wide-sweeping in its terms of reference. You can expect another round of attacks on the union-backed industry funds, as well as proposals to further increase the pension age. What you can't expect is the government to have a focus on superannuation theft, which the ACTU says costs workers more than $6 billion a year in unpaid super. With no ideas and nothing on their agenda but attacking workers in their unions, the government is seeking to address stagnating wages by having workers dip into their own retirement savings to fix their problem. Victorian AWU members at OneSteel have secured a good victory after a strike lasting less than one day. Members at OneSteel's factory in Laverton in Melbourne's west walked off the job last week, but within six hours the company had completely capitulated. Workers have won a new agreement that secures existing conditions and includes 3% annual increases to wages. Hundreds of shop stewards from Victorian building industry unions joined in an industry-wide meeting this week to discuss the most recent round of attacks by the Morrison Federal Government. Members of the CFMEU, ETU, AMWU and the Plumbers Union were hanging out the doors when they met at Victorian Trades Hall to hear the latest about the anti-union legislation in front of the Senate. In what has been the first combined union meeting in that industry for many years, the unions pledged to campaign together to defeat the anti-worker laws, including a new bill that would limit the union's abilities to provide benefits such as Incolink, training and other programs such as Suicide Prevention Course. No doubt more to come on this story. Zookeepers at Melbourne's three zoos are celebrating after winning a new enterprise agreement. The new agreement includes an 11.3% pay increase over three years and an initial increase of 6.6%. Zookeepers also secured a sign-on bonus and an additional week of parental leave and other leave improvements. 
United Voice Delegate Zoe Rao called the union agreement a massive win, and it appears staff agreed, with 98% of the roughly 500 staff at Victoria's zoos voting in favour of the agreement. Bus drivers in Edinburgh are set to strike this week, coinciding with the beginning of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The drivers are taking action to improve their workplace environment, seeking to remove serial bullies in management. The company Lothian Buses has egg on their face this week after a series of social media gaffes, trying to shift public opinion against the drivers. However, the company's been subject to ridicule and criticism by Edinburgh locals who overwhelmingly support the drivers. In a last-ditch attempt to buy peace, the company has offered the workers a 2.7% pay increase. However, the 1,700 workers and members of Unite have repeatedly said that this dispute has nothing to do with pay and that their fight will continue until they have real action against the bullying in their workplace. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Maintenance workers at a glass factory in Melbourne's inner western suburb of Spotswood have been taking industrial action for several months now. They are locked in a protracted dispute about wages and conditions with their employer, multinational glass company OI. We spoke with electrical trades union organiser Steve Diston for more. Steve, can you give us a bit of a rundown on how the dispute at OI started and where things are at now? So basically... We've been negotiating with OI Glass for months and they haven't moved their bargaining position at all the entire time. Uh, The workers there at the moment over the last seven years haven't had a wage increase in real terms. CPI um, is ahead of them at the moment by 0.1%. There's been protected action for months. The workers out there were day on, day off, 24 hours on, 24 hours off for three months. They've got various bans on at the moment and the company... Companies threaten to lock them out. Companies threaten to terminate their agreement. Um, it's been pretty uh, standoffish. Can you tell us a bit about what these workers do? So a lot of people out there might not just understand how many different types of products these workers are making. So basically, if you've touched a um, any sort of a food item or drink item in a glass bottle, the chances are it's come from that factory or one of the other OI glass factories um, around the country. So especially if you drink um, VB or anything like that, all the CUV products, all their bottles come directly um, across the Westgate, uh, over there at Spotswood, and then come over to um, Richmond. So, yeah, they, they absolutely dominate the, the glass food container market. Can you tell us what the workers are fighting for? So you said, obviously, that pay was an issue, but are there other issues that the workers are fighting for? Yeah, so there's been some um, abuses of the contractors clause down there. So unfortunately, uh, in this day and age, a lot of the time you'll negotiate a fantastic agreement and then the employer will utilise subcontractors, contractors, labour hire to try and get around it. The company down there have been pretty sneaky in what they've been doing, so we want to tighten up the contractors clause. And obviously we'd love to have some pay rises above CPI uh, for the first time in seven years because... Although we use CPI as a measurement, I know that house prices um, have been jumping up by a hell of a lot more than CPI. And you held a noisy protest in Melbourne last week. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, the headquarters for OI Glass at 600 Burke Street. So we were um, letting the public know if they wanted to get out of paying income tax like OI Glass, uh, head up to Level 5 and ask for Michael Brown. Um, And we were basically just informing the public this is another big tax-cheating multinational that has enough money to pay their CEO $11 million a year, but um, just 
can't quite find anything for the ATO or the Australian public. And this seems to be a bit of a common theme throughout a lot of the actions and campaigns the ETU is running at the moment is that many of these companies aren't paying income tax, or sorry, company tax, are they? Yep, we're all being taken for a ride. And when they don't pay it, someone's got to, and that someone is us, workers. Workers at the site are engaged in rolling stoppages. Can you tell us a bit more about what action they are taking and what the company's response has been? So at the moment, um, the guys are at work for eight hours every day, but they have bans in place on particular items of equipment within the workplace. So they're there for eight hours, but the employer is deducting up to 55% of their wages, even though they're there for eight hours, which is um, one of the nasty things under the Fair Work Act that employers um, that are rather litigious love doing. Uh, they don't have to justify that. They can just make the deductions. And if you want to argue about it, well, it's off to the commission. And a couple of months later, you might get somewhere. And the company's also been flying in strike breakers from time to time. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how successful that's been as a strategy for them? Yes, well, often um, companies find it extremely difficult to get Victorian electricians to cross um, a picket line or involve themselves in an industrial dispute. So they bought in a um, contractor from South Australia. They changed their mind pretty quickly once they got here and they realised what was going on. Um, and other than that, there's a, another company that's supplying fitters. We have heard that they're looking for electricians trying to engage through labour hire. This mob from South Australia that's doing the fitters, but um, so far they haven't had any luck. And Steve, is this another example where at CUB these maintenance workers are outside of the direct employment of the company or are they still directly employed by the larger glass manufacturer? So these workers are directly employed um, by the manufacturer, that's true. And what's next for the campaign? What can we expect to see out of this OI dispute? Well, the company is putting forth a non-union agreement um, for a vote uh, for Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday next week. So um, once we show them what we think of their agreement, um, after that we're going to be meeting the following week, um, the secretaries of the unions, and talking about um, where we go to from here. But I would imagine uh, unless OI Glass changes their tune considerably in the next two weeks, I imagine that we'll be um, up in the ante. And if people want to find out more about the dispute or even show their support for the workers, how can they, how can they go about doing that? Um, jumping on the ETU Facebook page is always um, probably the best way to keep up to date with all the disputes that we have on. Our comms team uh, absolutely dynamite. Um, and whenever we need something uh, from the public or we need people to show up to something, we'll chuck it on our Facebook so that people know all about it. That was Steve Diston, organiser with the Electrical Trades Union. Teachers at an Islamic college in Melbourne's north are taking industrial action as they try to win their very first enterprise bargaining agreement. The workers at Al Surat College have taken the step, escalating their campaign to address the growing divide between their wages and those of other teachers in the independent sector. Their organiser from the Independent Education Union, Simon Schmidt, joined us in the studio to give us an update. Simon, there's a dispute going on out in Melbourne's north. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how we got to where we are? Yeah, look, the dispute's at uh, Al Surat College, which is an independent Islamic school in, um, in Epping. We have been at the bargaining table for about six months, but negotiations have really broken down. The, the, the college has basically said no to pretty much everything that the teachers there want to achieve in their EBA, and they've actually ended up saying that they're going to put out a draft. The college intends to put out an agreement for the vote that's essentially a non-union agreement. So this has really united the teachers in opposition to that, and we've uh, started going down the path of industrial action. 
this is the first time these workers have bargained. Can you tell us a little bit about the campaign to organise and, and, and build this power in the workplace? Yeah, look, it's been a few years in the making, building the strength of the union sub-branch on campus there, but we now have uh, well over 50% of the teachers as active members of their sub-branch. And I guess there's been a growing awareness over the last few years that their conditions and pay are really falling behind their colleagues across the state. Yeah, and can you tell us a bit about that? Like, just how do these workers compare to others in the independent education sector? Dealing with pay, first of all, they actually weren't too bad a few years ago, but just because their their salary increases over the last few years have been so little that they're really falling behind. And an experienced teacher, for example, would be earning about 13000 less a year than if they're working around the corner in a public school or a Catholic school or most other independent schools. In terms of conditions, there are some really... Um, really important things that teachers want to achieve that so far the college has refused. A big one is paid parental leave. At at this stage, the college is just saying a flat no to any paid parental leave. Paid domestic violence leave is another big one. Getting decent sick pay is actually really important for teachers. You know, if you work with kids, there's germs going around a fair bit of the time. And we're just having too many teachers are having to choose between coming into work sick or going without a day's pay. Workers out there have taken the steps to endorse protected industrial action, and for many, this would be the first time that any of them have taken action. What's that process been like? They're really united in understanding that actually for the good of the school and their students, it's time for the, um, time for the college to, to offer pay and conditions that are competitive. But, but it has been a really big step for them. There's been a lot of nervousness about it. There are quite a few teachers there that are on fixed-term contracts or visa arrangements that make them particularly, you know, legitimately nervous about taking action. But really, they've been impressively, impressively united around this. And now they've started some action, uh, but there is more to, more to come potentially. Can you tell us what's next in the campaign? So far, they've taken one, one form of industrial action so far, which has been distributing information to parents about the nature of the dispute and about why it is that they're campaigning. And that's been met with a huge amount of support, actually, from the parent community, which has meant a lot to the teachers there. Look, teachers everywhere are reluctant to down tools because, because it does create big issues for you know students and families and so forth. But... If they have to do it, they will do it. And so right now they're considering what the next step will be if the school doesn't come back to the negotiating table. And if people want to find out more information about how they can support the struggle or just to find out more about the the dispute, where can they go? Look, at this stage, probably just following our social, the IEU social media ch- uh, channels is the best way to go, to Facebook, etc. Um, and as teachers do decide whether they're, whether they're going to ramp up the campaign, there might be more of a call out for community supporters. Simon, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks, Matt. No problem. That was IEU organiser Simon Schmidt. You're listening to Stick Together, right around the country on the Community Radio Network. Last week, the National Union of Workers released a report about the pay and working conditions on Australian farms. The treatment of the largely migrant workforce on these farms has been the subject of widespread media scrutiny since an explosive episode of Four Corners blew the lid off the slave-like conditions. Since then, workers have been getting organised and fighting back. This new report, released last week, includes survey results of more than 600 farm workers about their experience picking and packing the fruit and vegetables that end up on our supermarket shelves. 
The report again highlights systematic wage theft, harassment and accommodation scams, as well as the need for visa reforms. We spoke with NUW organiser Mick Power about the report. Mick, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks for having me. The union recently surveyed more than 650 farm workers and found out that the average wage is less than $15. That's about $10 less than the average minimum wage. Can you tell us how it is that so many farm workers are earning less than the minimum wage? Not just that the average hourly wage for farm workers is $14.80 per hour, but that it gets a lot lower than that. So two-thirds of the workers who participated are getting less than 10 bucks below the minimum wage. And the lowest wage was $4.60 per hour, with a large number of workers making less than $10 an hour. I, I wish that was unusual, but it's not. It's pretty common for workers who are doing the picking and packing especially doing picking in the orchards and fields, to get paid really low wages. There's a few different reasons for that. A lot of people assume that it's due to visa stuff because, you know, a large number of the farm workers in Australia are undocumented because the visa system isn't set up to allow the number of workers who are actually needed and willing to work to do that work. But what we found was that there were groups of workers, some of whom had visas, some of whom didn't have visas, all of whom were getting paid well below minimum wage. So it seems like the two, the two reasons for that is peace rates and cash contracting. In farms in Australia, the Hort Award is one of the only ones that makes it legal to pay people not by the hour, but by the amount they pick. So you can pay by the box or by the metre or by the tree. In theory, that is supposed to lead the average worker to get paid 15% more than the hourly wage. In reality... Farmers and contractors widely scan the piece rate system, and so most workers getting piece rates earn significantly below the hourly casual wage. The second reason is cash contracting. 70% of the workers who participated in the survey work for cash contractors or subcontractors or sub-subcontractors. They will typically provide a house and transport for the workers and exercise a huge amount of degree of control over their life. Most of the workers are paid in cash. You know, they get their cash not in a payslip, but in an envelope with their name and the money that they're getting written on it. Almost none of them have the opportunity to pay tax. And the, the cash contractors, because they own the house the workers live in, and because they own the car that they drive workers to and from the field or the farms in a rural area, really have a lot of control over workers' lives. So peace rates and cash contracting are the main reasons for these poverty wages. And in those circumstances where the contractors are also skimming money out of wages for accommodation and transportation, it's no, it's not difficult to see just how much pressure these workers are under in these circumstances. Yeah, and it's more like gouging. I mean, to give you an example of a worker who spoke out this week, he was one of seven workers living in a three-bedroom house. In a rural area, each of them were paying between $120 and $130 per week each. So that contract is clearing close to a 1000 bucks off renting out pretty ordinary accommodation. And this isn't just one or two. Many workers who tell me at the end of the week they have about 100 bucks to play with. I've spoken to a number of workers who learned to fish because they, they couldn't feed themselves from the supermarket. So they had to kind of learn to live off the land while they were working on farms in Australia. When asked about their top priorities for change in the industry, wages were obviously a very large issue for them, but there were other other demands as well. Can you let us know about those? So number one was wages. 70% wanted better wages. 
Number two was visa amnesty. 60% of the workers wanted a fairer visa system. And number three was secure direct jobs. So 50, 48% of them were sick of this cash contracting system and just wanted to work for their farmer. So I'll explain that this, well, that last one's a bit self-explanatory. Workers know that the cash contracting and subcontracting system is part of how they're getting screwed and they, they want to enter it. But with it, when it comes to visa amnesty, that, that comes from the nature of the visas and the workers in agriculture. In horticulture, there's people on working holiday visas from a country where you can get that, backpackers. There's also the seasonal worker program, which is relatively new for workers from Pacific Islands. Probably the majority, no one really knows, but you know, we guess that about half of the workers are coming from Southeast Asian countries and are on uh, bridging visas. So a lot of folks apply for protection visas and they get a bridging visa and the legal right to work. But the problem with that is that it's not really giving workers a chance. So farmers, farmers need workers, they want workers. In some cases, they're really desperate for workers. Um, but there's just not a visa to allow people to do the right work. And for folks who are here now undocumented, which is a lot, they want an amnesty. It's basically giving people a fresh start and the opportunity to go through this process legally again. A lot of those workers, as you say, don't have work rights under the current system. What problems does that cause when it comes to enforcing industrial rights out in that industry? does cause problems. A lot of the time what we see is farmers and contractors using that as an excuse to break laws with reckless abandon. So they'll say, well, you know, you don't have work rights, so you know, don't complain about your wages or don't complain that I haven't paid you super ever because you're breaking the law. The truth, of course, is that the employer is also breaking the law. It's, it's a problem, but it's, it's not really an obstacle to workers taking action. If workers want to stick together and fight for better wages, conditions and respect, they can do it and they are doing it. 57% of the respondents to the survey said that they were working for contractors that either definitely did or probably supplied Coles and Woolworths supermarkets. What type of produce are these workers picking for the, the major supermarkets? So most of the workers in this survey are picking, were picking grapes, citrus or apples and pears. And that's not because they're our favourite producers, it's because in April and May they were in season and that's where most of the workers were at that time. So they're picking a wide range of produce for Coles and Woolworths. Uh, does that mean for those of us shopping in those big supermarkets that the, the, food, the food that we're eating is based on, on wage theft? It's hard to know exactly because Coles and Woolworths, although they have a lot of power in their supply chain, they don't always advertise who is and who isn't their supplier. So it's the, the exact path from farm to supermarket isn't always clear, perhaps intentionally so. But what we found is that the majority of farms, I mean, the, the vast majority of farms, you will find conditions like these. And so sometimes Coles and Woolworths will say, well, look, we're aware that there's terrible work practices on farms, but they're not our suppliers. And it's hard to believe because the majority of farms, I'm guessing, uh, you'll see terrible working conditions like this. If you go into your Coles and supermarket, chances are you're looking at fruit and vegetables that was picked with something that looks a lot like slave labour. And the report calls on these supermarkets to take action to address these labour abuses in their supply chain. What's the union calling on these companies to do? Coles and Woolworths do have the power to fix this if they want to. They dictate terms to suppliers. Farmers will tell you that. Everything from asking them to make voluntary marketing contributions to asking them to open their books, their accounting books, to, in some cases, we've heard, dictating the kind of type of the rubber band that your broccoli gets wrapped in. So what we're asking is that they use that market power 
to ask to to kind of ensure that suppliers respect workers' rights. So what we're asking for is an agreement with workers and their union and the industry that would do three things. One is have supplier pre-qualification. So for, for Coles and Woolies to say, not just on paper, that we want our suppliers to respect workers' rights, but to say we're going to require you to prove that and you need to be certified as workers' rights compliant before you supply Coles and Woolworths and workers in their union need a role in that certification. As part of that, we're also asking that they ensure their suppliers allow workers' rights education and also a grievance procedure and the right to speak out on farms. And then the two other asks, those three are sort of the core. If there's a supplier certification with worker education with the grievance procedure, that would go a long way to fixing this. Asks number four and five, one is about visa amnesty. So workers in their union and the farmers and their federation are largely in agreement that we need a better visa system and largely in agreement about what we want. We're asking the supermarkets to join us in advocating for that visa solution. And then finally, to ensure fair pay pricing. So Coles and Woolies do put a lot of downward price pressure on their suppliers. In fruit and vegetables, that should not come out of workers' wages. So we're asking them to ensure that the prices in their supply contracts allow farmers and employers to pay workers the legal minimum hourly wage. Nick, if people want to read the report or find out more about the campaign, where can they go? Yep, so to read the report and to join the campaign, you can go to nuw.org.au. It's on the website. Um, The report is called uh, Farm Workers Speak Out. And we are asking community members of all, all shapes and sizes to support. We have a a community petition going that we will be calling on shoppers, on elected officials, on citizens, on everyone to support the workers in asking Coles and Woolworths to do the right thing. Mick Power, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks. That was Mick Power from the National Union of Workers. And that brings us to the end of the show for the week. Thanks again to all of you for joining us. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. It's broadcast right around the country thanks to the good people at the Community Radio Network and your local community station. Shows like ours are only possible because of listeners like you. You can do your bit to keep worker stories on the air by calling your local community station and subscribing today. If you want to get in contact with us, maybe you've got a union story you'd like us to cover, or maybe you just want to give us some feedback, you can contact the producers of the show by calling us on 03-9419-8377 or emailing us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. If you want to listen back to this or any other recent episodes of the show, you can find the podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash sticktogether. You can also find us on iTunes or on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.